afternoon and good evening wherever and whenever you may be and welcome to episode 73 of the Fade to Black podcast. I'm Hannah Flint. I'm Clarice Lockery. And I'm Amon Woman. This week, a Comanche woman fights to survive against an unexpected predator in Disney Plus <laughs> Horror, Prey. Plus, Amon speaks to director Dan Trachtenberg. All aboard David Leach's bullet train. Next up, murder and mayhem in this all-star action vehicle. And a 15-year friendship carries a Palestinian refugee's dreams of seeing her homeland again in documentary Fadia's Tree. Plus, in our hot take, we try our best to figure out what the hell is going on <laughs> over at Warner Bros. right now. It is absolute chaos. Um, but before we get into all that, and before we get into our opening chat, we've got a special little announcement to make about our live podcast. Um, and I'm going to hand the reins over to Amon, because Amon is has been the maestro to organise it. Oh, you... Oh, you. Uh, yes, the following is a special announcement from the Fate of Black podcast. Yes, we were talking uh, last week about us potentially landing a guest for our live show on Thursday, September 15th at 7 p.m. sharp. Make sure you book your tickets. And we have landed uh, a guest because uh, the person we will be interviewing on stage that evening is the star of Gangs of London. It's the star of Mr. Malcolm's List. It's the star of his house. His name is, of course, Shoppe de Rizu. Boo, 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 boo. <laughs> hey, yo. Hey, yo. Look, oh my God. Is it going to be weird that we're not going to be like the hottest people on the panel? <laughs> like, am I ready for that? You know, just just for this you know, little 25-minute segment, I'm, I, I'm prepared to concede. Yes. Uh, that, that. You're so not going to be the hottest black man in the room. <laughs> oh, oh, and the world wept. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, that's very, very exciting. Uh, we're big fans of shopping on this podcast. Um, as you will hear in the coming weeks, Mr. Markham's list. Uh, we, well, me, me and Hannah have seen it at this point. We, we really like it. Are we allowed to say that? We're allowed to say that. Um, uh, yeah, I should actually preface it because my friend made it. So, uh, <laughs> so I, yeah. as much as, uh, you know, I feel like you can like something even if your friend made it, but like, I should say she is my mate, Emma Holly Jones. Um, yeah. and she's going to be on our podcast as well to talk about the making of it. Yeah. So it's going to be lots of Mr. Malcolm listings. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> but yes, as I said, Thursday, September 15th, 7 p.m., Book your tickets. It's our pinned tweet on Twitter. We put it in the show notes. We're going to put it on our socials. It's going to be everywhere. Uh, so the only excuse for you not being there is going to be you. But you're not going to make that excuse because you're going to book your tickets. I don't even know why I'm saying that. So just I'm really tickets. just, you, you got, listeners, you can't see that when, when Amon said that, he did this really like extravagant <laughs> pointing. <to me>. <laughs> <laughs> I like that poster when it's like, oh, Britain needs you. <laughs> what is it? Is it like, what's his name? General Falconer or something like, it's like yeah. that sort of energy. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what you need to do. If you, if you care, you need to show up troops. Mm-hmm. Fade to black troops. Anyway. Anyway, was, okay, cool. So what else is... <laughs> Are we trying to run a small nation here? <laughs> we, we're, we're trying to rise up because maybe we are going to be on Rishi's um, extremist list for Vilify Britain. Oops. Oh, gosh. Oh. And I... <laughs> <laughs> um, Clarice, what's been going on with you? I, I saw Lady Gaga 
Yes! Fanatical <laughs> Vocal 2022. I cried, <laughs> I danced, I sweat quite a lot. <laughs> um, she ended the show with the Top Gun song, and I felt so seen and held by her because she did it <laughs> by coming back on stage for the encore, wearing like a giant like demon claw hand. Um, and then half the stage was on fire. It was one of the most incredible experiences of my life, and I feel so lucky uh, to have been able to go and probably some people listening there was a lot of people there so probably some people listening also went and i hope you also had a nice time the venn diagram of fade flat listeners and, <laughs> <is a circle. laughs> and the thing is when they announced they did the like official announcement for joker too i was like i can't be angry at it because she gave me chromatica ball and i can't <laughs> Yeah, I how are you feeling about that? Because we definitely confirmed that it's going to be a musical. Is it definitely confirmed it's going to be a musical? Uh, yes, yeah. It's yeah, taking place so. in Arkham Asylum, so I think we can already get a picture of what it's going to be like. I mean, I'll turn up because it's Lady Gaga, but, mm, yeah. you know, I don't know. It's our <laughs> jobs to turn up. <laughs> yeah. uh, I do also get paid to turn up. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I don't know, yeah. I feel like... The, the, I I don't know. Maybe the maybe the the new the new version will be far more in keeping because if it's a musical, I feel that that already feels like it's gonna have mi- more of the kind of like comic book flavor, fantastical flavor, rather than this like. Because I've always felt with Joker, nothing about it is inherently <laughs> Joker. It could have been called Jeff. Yeah. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I felt like that for me was one of the biggest criticisms of it. I kind of wish it was called Jeff. Uh, <laughs> So much of it, it just felt like this is you're just using a name. This is just, yeah. It's this just is like a knockoff. Right this is a cheap knockoff. <laughs> yeah. But interesting though, with Gaga as as Harley Quinn, I mean, she's an it's and but it's also interesting because I was reading, I've been reading some of the Harley Quinn comics. I didn't realize she was Jewish. Um, hmm. So that's interesting because Gaga's not Jewish, is she? No, she's Italian American. Um, yeah. And I don't know, it's interesting, that kind of thing, situation, because I think it's so, so, so interesting with, like, Jewish representation, because obviously there's a lot of, like, Jewish actors who might be, you know, white actors or something like that, but some of them, and there's obviously, you know, the kind of Seth Rogen-esque, like, hey, Jewish comedy sort of thing. But when it comes to, like, you know, Moon Knight, perfect example, where it's, like, Jewish character, not played by a Jewish person, like, we see that quite a lot. I'm just quite interested. By yeah, it. and I feel like with the comics as well, I mean, this is just my understanding of comics, because, like... Uh, identities are kind of ever shifting and i know with a lot of comic books you when you adapt something you you sometimes get to pick and choose like what you've decided like this character's backstory is and so i think it's always interesting when like the option is there to have a certain background and to see filmmakers go oh actually we're not going to do that like i guess with like scarlet witch being she's romany right in the comic yeah yeah um yeah. The decision to go, ah, we, we don't want to do that. It's like, oh, it's, it's very interesting where, like, filmmakers actively decide to go, mm-hmm. no, we're not going to do yeah. that backstory. Yeah. And it, I suppose also they're probably see, they probably see it as well. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm all about representation. But um, I'd be interested to know, like, just what those, how many actors of Romani heritage are, like, or people in that. Because I think it's such a, uh, the diaspora of it. And obviously some people, I think Romani is, like, used a lot by people, but, like, you know, like, gypsy whatever like that kind of term actually you know to act they're specifically from descended from a region 
of like nothing's like North India. That's where that whole thing comes from. That's why they were called gyp- gypsies because you know like they look like Egyptians. Like that's the colorism out of it. But um, mm. yeah, interesting. And it's so interesting because like Scarlett Johansson, you know, famous Jewish woman playing Black Widow, and it's like when do you see if I have to like not have your ethnicity at all you're kind of like no Jewishness at all part of your role or it's like it's a really Jewish character like Bradley Cooper playing Leonard Bernstein Mm. (laughs) and it's like oh no anyone anyone who's got like because you know plays into the kind of stereotypes of what Jewish people look like it's like oh well they look they look like one so that Mm. doesn't that's it's fine I think but there we go I did the Conair Q&A last Sunday and it was a really, really fun. Uh, thank you for all the people who turned out and asked uh, some great questions. Of course, there was that one guy, the first guy I asked. I have more of an observation and a comment and then a question, uh, which I had to shut down What observations quickly. are people having about Khan I, I, oh, I, I, I noticed that they put the bunny in a box. That was a very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a continuity error. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, You're a continuity error. <laughs> But yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. I'm a big fan of that movie. Uh, it's probably my favorite ending to uh, Q&A ever. Because um, basically, <laughs> and you guys have both watched Connor, so you know this line. But um, there's a line that Nicolas Cage has at one point that, that there's only two people in this world I trust. One of them is me, the other one isn't you. And then he tells that same guy at the end, there's now three people I trust. So when the final audience question was asked, I turned to Simon. Simon, when I started this Q&A, there are only two people I trusted. And the audience got a kick out of that. That's very funny. Um, so, yeah. Uh, thanks for everyone who turned up. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll do it again soon. Only two people you trusted. What about only two people? Us? You mean me? <laughs> me and Clarice. That is obviously, obviously what I was going towards. Yes. Right. Well, let's crack on. Okay. So, we're first going to be talking about Prey. Before Amon introduces his interview, let's hear the trailer. Why do you want to hunt? Because you all think that I can't. I saw a sign in the sky. I'm ready. Set in the Comanche Nation 300 years ago, Prey is the story of a young woman, Nadu, a fierce and highly skilled warrior. She's been raised in the shadow of some of the most legendary hunters who roam the Great Plains, so when danger threatens her camp, she sets out to protect her people. The prey she stalks and ultimately confronts turns out to be a highly evolved alien predator with a technically advanced arsenal resulting in a vicious and terrifying showdown between the two adversaries. This newest entry in the Predator franchise stars Amber McThunder, Dakota Beavers, Stormy Kip, Michelle Thrush, Julian Black Antelope and Dane DeLegro with a screenplay by Patrick Ayson and it's directed by Dan Trachtenberg who I got to speak to when he was in London a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Hannah also got to speak to him now that I think of it because she did an intro to the multimedia screening, which was awesome, by the way. I well did done. the UK Ghana screening. Yeah. I did introduce it. <laughs> thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for the cheers. Um, also, it was so funny. I'm sorry, it's so just this, but like I met, mm. I only briefly spoke to Dan. It's like, hey, I'm introducing this. It's like, cool. And, I left. <laughs> and then, um, and then I was looking at my Instagram to who saw my Instagram stories, and he looked at my stories. I was like, oh, <laughs> hey, stalker. Didn't follow me, but there we go. You know. uh, but anyway. yes, I got to speak to him for longer than Hannah uh, for a nice 20 minute chat about uh, this film. We talked about Amber and Thunder. 
We talked about the action. Uh, we didn't get to talk about the score, <laughs> which is fantastic. And I'll get into why later. But this is still a chat which I really, really enjoyed. Uh, he had some interesting thoughts as well uh, about a certain line, which was meant to be said by a different character. And to find out more of what I'm talking about, uh, here is that interview. Enjoy. Welcome to the Fate of Black podcast, Dan Trachtenberg. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. So, so good to see you. We're here to talk about Prey, which is a film that I really, really liked. Uh, so very excited to chat with you. But first of all, I want to ask you if you remember watching Predator for the first time and where does that rank on your best cinematic experiences list for you? You know what's funny? I think the first time I saw Predator, I did this funny thing with one of my friends where we would buy the Mad Magazine, <laughs> um, which I I don't know. Did you grow? Do they have that everywhere? Do you have Mad Magazine? I think I know what you're referring to. Okay, so Mad Magazine um, would always have a movie parody uh, right. in, in in the magazine, um, like a cartoon version, and I, I think we watched, we would do is we would like watch a movie, then pause it and then read that portion of the parody to understand <laughs> the joke and then keep watching. I think that's how I watched Predator for the first time. Um, wow. But obviously it became one of my favorite movies. And mm. um, and uh, I, I Predator 2, I remember where I was. I think I bought that on pay-per-view, like on a, on a physical box that you had to like punch in the numbers to... Wow. <laughs> um, so, yeah, big fan of the franchise. Amazing, amazing. It's probably good that we're doing this virtually because if we were doing this in person, I would totally have walked into the room and gone, Dan, you son of a bitch, and tried to do the handshake. <laughs> and then we could have flashed pants <laughs> and, and arm wrestled in the air with each other. Yeah, It would have been amazing. It really would have. Um, but there have been so many Predator films since the first one in 1987 that have gone in so many different directions. What was the genesis for you in pitching this new story? Um, you know, I really wanted to make a movie that was, first of all, I was obsessed with the idea of making a period science fiction film mm -hmm. uh, and was very inspired by Fury Road uh, and making an, a, a movie that was primarily told through action, but didn't want it to just be a visceral experience, really wanted it to be an emotional one and thought maybe I could... Um, take the engine of a sports movie and inject that into a genre film. Uh, and then in thinking about that, felt like uh, it would be great if this movie had protagonists that we never get to see um, be the leads of a movie and, and Native Americans and, and Comanche uh, more, more specifically are always relegated to playing the sidekick or the villain and never um, the hero. So all of things combined. And I think because it was an underdog story, I was like, well, it'd be great if it wasn't just man against the elements. If like, what if there was like the most formidable opponent um, that you could face? And mm. obviously Predator comes to mind um, there and the code of conduct of the Predator um, gives so much thematic weight to an underdog story. So all of those things kind of swirled together to, to, to uh, make this movie. Absolutely. I know you talked about Telling the story through action was one of the things that you wanted to focus on in this movie. What, what, what are some of the benefits and challenges in approaching a film like this in that way? Well, certainly the inherent um, 
excitement is you're getting all of the thing that you like. <laughs> you're <laughs> getting a, a roller a roller coaster ride that's all the excitement and never the the lull. Um, mm. uh, but of course, um, for me, it's like, well, how do we view those? You need, of course, you need to go down so that you can go up again. Um, how do we make those things not feel like lull, not feel like just um, checking a box and making the plot move forward, um, but make it feel still feel charged and have an intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's where um, the Nadu's journey comes in and making a character that's so much more relatable, um, that's going through something that I think all of us go through and feeling like we we have a sense that we could be capable of doing something, but the people around us don't believe it. And mm-hmm. we may be doubting it ourselves. So um, I think that, and, and also it, 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 that one of the things that excited me was having it feel adrenalized even before Predator shows up. Um, one of my um, favorite action movies is Speed. Mm. Um, and I always loved that there was an insane, intense um, elevator sequence uh, before we even get to the bus. Um, and The Rock is another example of that crazy chase through San Francisco before we even get to the premise of the movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I love when when action films aren't just delivering the like first act, second act, third act set piece, that there's a real variety of kinds of set pieces that you get. Um, and because the movie was so action driven, um, and I think this one a little more adventure driven, mm. Uh, which creates ideas like like our the mud pit sequence is like oh well if we're an adventure movie we got to have like a quicksand kind of moment um so that so that nadu is is up against other animals um up against the elements um and then of course up against the the big science fiction threat yeah absolutely and you're talking there about how the film feels adrenalized even before you see the predator and all this glory. I think one of the things that you used to do that is show the constant switching between predator and prey within nature, which I really love. Can you talk to me about that and why you wanted to uh, give that a little bit of focus? Well, just because that, that is the, that is um, what really bubbles the theme to the surface Mm -hmm. um, is uh, reminding that there is a, food chain, um, there, is, there is something inherent in nature um, um, about you know, who gets to survive, what strength really is, and um, what is the alpha of a planet. And the predator has come here looking for the alpha and he hasn't yet encountered um, uh, people yet. Um, mm. and, he's, he's, and he's sort of looking for the biggest, best trophy. Um, yeah. So. No, yeah. he's a bad boy. Um, and <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I'm looking forward to watching it again with a bigger crowd when I saw it. Like, I was like the only one in the audience live, but I was like, I was like, oh, this is incredible. Um, but given your attachment to the Predator franchise, was there ever a day on set where you had Dane DeLegro over a Predator suit and you were like, it hit you, holy crap, you are directing the Predator right now? So many times we would get lulled into the work um, and forget. And then you'd hear someone 
either our video assist or the um the ad or whatever would be like we're making a predator movie you know like, <laughs> you forget you'd quickly forget and then you would do something with the predator and be like oh we're not just making a movie with a creature in it that we designed and whatever it's like oh no this is the predator we're mm -hmm. making a, a predator um so yeah it was absolutely mind-blowing and incredible and um the first time i saw the suit uh was actually a little scary um <laughs> it's it is i mean the height really makes it feel so you have to look up at that thing and it's mm. looking down at you um and it's really creepy i must yeah. say yeah no absolutely um how long did it take you to find amber uh for this movie she is absolutely fantastic what, what stuck out to you about her when when you're searching for your nadu yeah i mean she when, when she auditioned we had her do the the scene um between her and her mom uh, in the TP, and she did it once as written, uh, once in Comanche, and then once non-verbally. Um, and and to do a do a, a talk-heavy scene and perform it without words is very challenging. And um, it was one of the most moving things watching her um, do that. And so, mm -hmm. because our movie is so physical and so. Um, as I mentioned before, like, you know, it's told through action primarily. Um, uh, being able to express things non-verbally was an essential part. Um, and then even, even when she did the, the more physical, um, the physical bits of her audition, we had a little bit of an obstacle course set up. And whether she was crawling, running, leaping over a stack of mats, um, she was mm -hmm. always finding the emotional beats um, to articulate. So um you know uh, she became the obvious choice for the film and uh and i think delivers a freaking incredible performance so yeah no i can care uh this next question is the most important question i have for you today so prepare yourself it's a big one all right all right how was it working with sari the dog because no disrespect to amber but yeah. sari was Suddy, it, 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 so, it's R and D in Comanche. Yeah, uh, so um, she, uh, the dog might be the stealth MVP of this movie, is what I'm saying. Um, so, I so mean, that's the MVP for sure. <laughs> uh, I don't know that Nadu could have done what she did without Suddy's, but um, yeah, I mean, we, I was very, I, I, I love the Road Warrior and mm. um, always loved the like silhouette of the badass Mad Max and his little little doggy. Um, and love the idea that we could have that kind of companionship in this movie. Um, and uh, it was a lot of, it was, it was hard work. Um, the dog is played by, uh, the dog's name is Coco in, in reality and Coco mm -hmm. um, was very rambunctious. And uh, because it, it, we had, we had, we couldn't get a, a dog that was trained for years to be in movies. Um, it needed to be a very specific dog that would have been, a, a, um, you know, alive during this right. time period. Um, so uh, we found one um, and had to do the best training we could in the time allotted. Mm. And and yeah, a lot of chaos ensued on set. But it, it also made for like a very um, suspenseful um, time just in the making of the movie because every take was like, is she gonna do what we think <laughs> And then there was so much applause and cheer whenever we finally got um, what we needed to with her. So um, it, made it, it made it a good time, for sure. Fantastic. Fantastic. 
I love this idea that Nadia has always had it within her to complete these hunting trials. She just hasn't done it yet. Uh, yeah. Is there anything that you had to learn to do in crafting this film that you hadn't done before? And if so, how much of a challenge was it for you to overcome? Oh boy, great question. Um, I mean, that's just how I feel in life in general, always. Like I like having that sense of like, I think I can do it. Um, and always being um, super stressed out whether or not I actually can. Um, and, and I'm oftentimes making something um, for the wrong reason. Like just like Nadu, I, I've got a doubter, someone that's questioned whether or not um, the idea I have is, is a good one or an element inside of a thing was good or not. And, I, and then I'm like, oh, now I'm definitely going to make this and I'm making it to prove that person that it can be good. Mm. Um, so that's sort of my, my home state is like, is being in that, in that mode. Um, I don't know if there's any one particular thing other than just working in, 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 um, working in nature, um, is not where I'm comfortable. Um, I'm, I'm very much more, you know, of a, I'm a, I'm a gamer. So I love being at home playing video games or watch movies. And, uh, and I was, when this movie was the one that took off and, and, you know, and not some of the others I was developing, uh, I was like, oh my God, yes. And then I was like, oh no, oh no, this <laughs> one, this is the one where I have to like be outside all the time and um, all night long and getting, because I know, I know what we wanted to capture on screen. I knew that we wanted sunset and sunrise and all of those things take so much effort. Um, and luckily I was with a group of people that um, were all um, really excited to make something special um and that um really kept me going too so to yeah. make them proud of the film we were making 100 percent. we're probably not gonna have time to get into it today but i just want to say that I, I, you mentioned your gaming to the credentials and i know that you took a little bit of inspiration from god of war for the shield and yep. i love that absolutely love that it's fantastic um, and, the, and the tomahawk yes yes yeah no really really great um the if it bleeds we can kill it line is iconic uh when the day came to film that line what were the emotions like how many takes did you do talk to me about that day because i'm guessing it was, it was, it was a lot <laughs> i'll tell you an interesting thing originally that line was amber's um Ooh, interesting and she said it um earlier in the film and the challenging thing was we were getting a lot of feedback like her character felt um, uh, there's things about her character that weren't connected, like too confident in, in, in parts where it didn't seem like she should be confident in that moment. And that's mm. where that, line, and we went, oh my God, it's the line. And none of us wanted to like leave, have the line leave the movie, you know, like, oh my God, wait, but that's, that's so cool that she isolated in a vacuum made that scene so great. Then I realized, oh yeah, but in the arc of the film, like it's too early for her to feel that way, to have that, that confidence so um or really for her to be confident just in the moment in the moment where she should be the least confident um so then we realized oh there's this other moment in the movie um between her and tabe um and it just made so much we didn't even we didn't know how to how to have it wasn't that like oh can we give tabe the line it was like well how do we can get tabe to motivate her 
mm -hmm. um, and to make her realize what she's so capable of, you know, and it was like, oh my God, the line, we can use the line for that. Um, so uh, that's how that shifted around. Almost uh, was, was in the movie at one point, and I must say, it's a shame, Amber's delivery of it was tremendous. Um, uh, but um, mm. the movie, the movie is now better for for how we recalibrated it. Yeah, uh, that is very very interesting. Deleted scenes. I want to yeah. see. It. Yeah. Um, yeah. you're bringing the Comanche warriors to life in this film, as we've said. Was there any particular interesting thing that you uncovered in your research that you were excited to bring to life here? You know, one of the one of the things um, that found its way into the movie in some form uh, was something Jane, or the movie's producer Jane Myers, who is Comanche and Blackfeet. She, not not even in reference to a specific scene we were working on, um, just emailed me one day this interesting um, fact that uh, Comanche warriors, when they were um, like. In, in a surrendering position, but refused to surrender when they were had like all but lost a situation, they would um, take their hide out um, and shoot an arrow through it. Um, and so that they were fastening themselves to the ground Ooh. and say, this is as far as I go, no more, this is it. Like as if to be like, I'm not being pushed back from this. I'm not moving off of this point which was like, holy sh incredible. Mm. Um, and so we kind of rephrased that a little bit because it's, it's, it's challenging to fully understand without the full context mm. um, and used that in the movie in these, in these very sp three very specific um, parts. Yeah. Uh, but I, I loved, I loved um, what, the, what that statement um, kind of carries with it. Yeah, no, I love that. Uh, my final question to you, because my time's almost up, but I did want to ask you about The Boys because you directed the premiere episode of that show. It just uh, aired its full season three, which I really enjoyed. Have you been keeping up with it since? And what have you made of its increased popularity over the last few years? <laughs> I haven't seen season three yet. Um, no spoilers I, from me. Yeah, please, please don't. <laughs> I think I know things. But um, season two, I loved like I it was such an odd experience season one I had seen so much of in different stages right because I, I um even after completing my episode the pilot but um so season two I watched just as a fan like it was so crazy I didn't think I would be able to just experience it um from a, from a fan point of view you know uh knowing what I know and the, the my connection to it but I really did. I like fell in love with the show and season two. Um, and, uh, and I'm really excited uh, to see, it sounds like season three is um, pretty insane. Uh, so, yeah. Pretty insane is an understatement. There's a thing yeah, that yeah, happens right, right, right. in the first 10 minutes of the first episode. You may have heard about it, but it's just, it's, it's, it's wild. <laughs> it's one of the wildest things I've seen. Season four, back behind the director's chair. Oh, uh, maybe that would be cool. I don't know. I think they're already, I think it may already be, or maybe not. I don't know. Um, yeah, that would be a blast, man. That was, that's a, that was a very fun experience. It's a good cast and crew of people making that show. Um, and obviously you're, you're doing things on that. You're, you're, the things that you're shooting are, are 
unlike anything you would do in any other um, yeah. property. So uh, yeah, that would be a ton of fun. Yeah. We need to make some calls in between, of course, playing God of War Ragnarok later this year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Dan, thank you so much for your time. It's been so much fun. Congratulations on a fantastic movie. Oh man, thank you so much. I appreciate it. So Prey, I think we should start with one of its biggest strengths. And I think that's its back to basics approach. Um, we've had a number of Predator sequels after the first iconic 1987 Arnie film uh, of varying quality, uh, shall we say. Um, but yeah, this feels to me a back to basics approach, given us what we want and expect uh, from uh, a Predator entry, uh, but with new heroes and a new setting that really benefits this new story being told. Hannah, would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I think sometimes, like, I don't know, but the last Predator film we saw was like Shane Black, right? It was the right. Shane Black one. Yeah. And it just felt like just just a lot going on. And I think fundamentally, like, I mean, look, I think one of the things uh, I was slightly nervous about um, with with this film was that so often when we have Native representation or Indigenous American or, you know, First Nation representation, it's always like positioning them in the past. So I was like, oh, are we going to have another film where it's like them as like their art you know artifacts of a bygone era um mm. so that would but then you know i spoke to uh jane myers who's like one of the producers um mm-hmm. on the film and she's she's actually comanche as well um and so you know that kind of you know reassured me and i i love the fact that it was what i love was like the kind of little the granular detail of things of like how how uh Nadu is able to survive and how adaptable and the survival tactics that these communities were using like there's a bit where she's like she's like oh I want she's axe throwing she's practiced axe throwing she suddenly has the idea I have to walk and kind of pick up my axe every time so she ends up creating like a rope and you see her making it you see the little and things like that for me it felt like oh now I now I actually understand how this woman could survive against like because she's you know that resourcefulness that kind of like you know innate like uh, that you know being a healer but also a hunter like just so much you know intellectualism and how to survive so I thought that that was uh I really enjoyed that aspect of it because again you're like how's this like (laughs) indigenous girl gonna be (laughs) gonna be (laughs) the predator but yeah I thought it was uh I thought that the simplicity of it but also not 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 um not rushing things, making sure you see the things that matter so that can really set up the kind of the breadcrumbs to allow you to realize like how she could potentially, mm-hmm. does she survive? Who knows? <laughs> uh, you know, put up a good fight. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love the journey that Nadu goes on here. She knows she can do it. She just hasn't done it yet. And the belief that comes from having done it, she hasn't sort of gotten that yet. And I think that's sort of the way in that which that journey plays out and the way uh, her dynamic uh, builds and shifts with her brother Tabe uh, on that journey uh, was really, really impressive to me. Clarice, what did you make of that? Uh, yeah, the thing I really like in the context of like Indigenous narratives on film is that even in like pro- progressive spaces, there's always been a little bit of this narrative that like Indigenous people were they just couldn't match up to European gunfire. And it's like, that's the tragedy is that the Europeans came in and they didn't know how to fight back. So they're wiped out really easily, which is not true. Uh, and if you actually look at the history of like American colonialism, 
the only way they won was not through like strength and warfare like they were pretty equally matched in a lot of battles it was through trickery and betrayal and what i really liked about this story is that it did kind of it very like subtly reminds people of that by by having and i don't want to like spoil the story but there's, there's a sort of story embedded in it about like the assumptions we make about people about who is like top god dog and who um you know who has the resources to fight back and there's this really nice idea at the bottom of it of like telling people who feel marginalized who feel like they're being treated like they're at the bottom of the tile the pile going oh no actually you have like all the resources you need to survive like you have them already in you and i i thought that was just like a cool it was a really cool twist on the predator franchise which i don't really care i'll give you honest, i don't care about predator sorry <laughs> alien all the way <laughs> <laughs> and i i thought that was just a really like new and interesting way to look at what does predator mean because classically with like the original predator film it's just it's very like booyah america <laughs> and this idea of like god we should be so flattered that the predators try to hunt us because we're like equal like you know because we're so good we're such good soldiers that the predator wants us some downfall accused you of being the best <laughs> exactly and i feel like this, this movie i think i might actually prefer it to the original predator because it, it, it thinks about the it thinks about what the predator is with a bit more like depth to it and i just really liked how it, i didn't even need the predator i really just liked the like the comanche story i thought it was really well done i think the original predator was like you know it was of that era that hyper macho action like that's that was the vibe of it so i can appreciate that you know that was the whole thing with schwarzenegger sylvester Stallone, jean-claude van damme you know what i mean it was like uh but i i agree though i think i actually think that prey is as good as that one like i i for me it's like i have i honestly have no notes um i think um you know, and, and, and the way that it kind of interrogates, you know, which what, what, you know, feminism, but like also like, it's not like, you know, sometimes as well where it's, where they have it, where it's the, the girl is at odds with her community. It's not. And the reason in like, it's not because she's a woman that they, some people are saying she shouldn't do stuff. It's just because like, they just, you know, her personality, like she's not, it's like, she's, She's a healer. She's obviously very sensible and stuff, but you know, some people get a bit scared. Can they handle that thing? What can they handle when a beast is jumping at you? If a lion is literally throwing itself, can you do those things? And so I kind of like the fact that it plays around with like kind of, you no, know, yeah, it's got a bit of arrogance, obviously, with like, you know, the people, but mm. it's not like overtly like, I'm a, I could do this because women can win. It's like, no, she's actually what, she's actually beyond that. She's, she's a healer and a hunter. And I mm -hmm. think having that, depth is um it's really fun and i also like the fact that she had a dog uh, <laughs> it's a good dog it's that was a great dog. goddamn dog oh my god you know when you watch it you're like nothing better happen to this dog you cannot introduce a dog and then kill it so yeah. sorry spoilers <laughs> <laughs> yeah now john wick is not around for another 300 years nothing better happen to that dog i know no. <laughs> still, still man that's still cold that fucking cold dog yeah um I feel like I have to say, like, I, I loved this film. I'm not ready to put it on Predator's level yet because Prey does not have a scene of Arnie going, Dylan, you son of a bitch, and then giving him the world's most machoist handshake. <laughs> 
so that for me. <laughs> um, and I have, you know, one note uh, to offer here. And I think it's a note that you all both agree on. Why in the hell is this movie debuting on Disney Plus and not in cinemas? Because... Oh, I know. Because I, I you know... The first time I was actually with Hannah when I when I watched it, I I was getting hyped in like our little screening. Nobody else was, and I was like, I have to see this again in a packed cinema so that I feel the reaction from the audience. But I was being, I was hyped in that screening. Were you? I couldn't hear you at all. I was. <laughs> I couldn't hear you. <laughs> but yeah, that's part of the reason why. I, uh, I, well, there were two reasons. I wanted to sort of go and support you doing the, the intro, uh, Hannah, but also. Because cinema, I wanted to go see it on the big screen with a big audience to really feel that vibe. And I feel like this film would benefit from a big cinema release. The one note, major note I have, why is this on Disney Plus? There is an answer for that. It's okay. because it's very similar to what happened with Warner Brothers. It's because of corporate shit. Uh, there's a pre-existing agreement with a lot of 20th century, former 20th century Fox titles that um, if they debut in the cinema in the US for streaming, they would have to go first to HBO Max. So uh, that happened in the US with like Nightmare Alley and Free Guy and like a bunch of movies. Mm. And the thing is, like, it's actually kind of, it's not Disney not having faith in Prey. They have so much faith in Prey and they liked Prey so much that they said, we don't want to give this to HBO Max. We want it for ourselves purely. Um, so it's kind of a weird, it's a weird legal thing. It is really unfortunate because it should be seen on the big screen and it's just like, it is like the Warner Brothers thing. It's what it was like, annoying, fucking stupid corporate things. Mm. Um, but it's not, I should say, it's not because Disney thought the movie was bad. They think the movie's great. They love it. That they love it too much. <laughs> <laughs> they should have done it back slightly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Vicky, Vicky, chill out. I know mm. you love Predator. <laughs> Did you know also that they shot some of the bits um, in the same place they shot The Revenant? Really? And that's, and that's, and that's. <laughs> oh, I was going to make that comparison it, and I was yeah. like, is that weird? No, <laughs> no, no. Because also what I really liked about this film is the way it it, it really played with the ideas of who is a predator and who is prey. Right, right, Because right. actually, like, that's what's great about it. That's what actually is really great about the title of it being Prey. Mm-hmm. Because it, it is that, like, who is that in this film? And it constantly shifts perspective. Mm-hmm. And the predator, I thought, was great. And we and I love the fact that we understand, I don't know, I, I mean, look, I don't have a encyclopedic knowledge of the of the Predator franchise. But for me, and this thing, maybe they've done it before, but I really love the, like, details, like, what is that what's in their arsenal and what like how that how they do stuff and like a really good reminder of like why this <laughs> this ominous being you know and I, and I thought that was really good so you see stuff with like you know a wolf and a bear and it's like all oh, those fight sequence mm-hmm. instructions was really great as well yeah also um, Clarice there's a thing in it and what I thought was really interesting interesting um is that they didn't use where they use subtitles and didn't use subtitles um, yeah, because there is uh, French okay. colonizers are there. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, well, his well, ancestors were there. No, they're French Canadians, not, oh. not, not me. I don't claim them. I think French Canadians are Yeah, because that's why when they started talking, I was like, "What?" <laughs> I think I saw someone tweet about this: is that for French viewers, for like uh, French France viewers. 
it's like a, it was a little bit like disconcerting for a second because you do think that, that they're French and the French did colonize in, in the US. But I think from the accents and what they were saying, I think I'm pretty sure they were French Canadian Quebecois with like mm. that sort Speak, of. Speaking of the language, I guess one benefit uh, to the Disney Plus release is that if, if people so choose, uh, they can switch over the to the Comanche dub. Uh, I believe this is the first movie uh, to get that, uh, which is crazy yeah. to say in 2022, but still a cool thing that I think they've done it. And it was yeah, so funny because, because, because again, I spoke to Amber and Jane and Jane was doing all the kind of like that. And some say, say, oh, we've changed dialogues. Like, you need to learn this, Amber. And she's like, they're like, they didn't have any of those, like, you know, those earworm things, what they call earwig things. Yeah. So she was like, can I use my air, air buds? And you just like feed me the, because she's, you know, just because someone's, Obviously, like they've not got the same like um, uh, indigenous heritage. I think mm-hmm. I think actually Amber is First Nations, so she's like Canadian, indigenous mm. Canadian, rather than like you know Native American. Mm. So it's like there's totally different languages. It's like trying to learn that. Yeah, that was quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. Last thing I want to mention is to talk about the Amber Madunda of it all. This is not an actress I had heard of uh, before this movie. I love that they've gone out and found. Uh, actors uh, from the indigenous community to play these characters and I think this is an example of the great art that can arise when the decision makers put in the work Um, and we're going to be talking about that a little bit later on a hot take I think Uh, but yeah that 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 was really uh, uh, great to me and a great thing about this film yeah definitely definitely Um, I want to see more I was like so what actually Jane says like what we, I was like, what would you like to see, like, a future show? Well, I'd love to do, like, Bridgerton, but it's set, like, in Native American time. Mm. That region, I was like, that would be so sick. I would I watch. Would, yeah. <laughs> I would 100% watch that show. Awesome. Mm. Well, on that note, I believe it's time for our sigh. Stream or skip, uh, not screen, recommendations on Prey. Clarice. Stream, but like twice. I really want to watch the the Comanche dub. I might do that this weekend. Cool. Mm. And Hannah. Stream. Yeah, yeah. I so badly want to say screen, but I cannot. Uh, It's a stream for me as well. Uh, Get to the Disney Plus. Do it. (laughs) Do it now. What you gotta do is find a rich person with the home cinema. (laughs) (laughs) All that. All that. And get in the home cinema. I don't know what you you do what you want with the rich person. I don't care. You get in the home cinema and then you watch Prey, and it's the same experience on the edge. Yeah. Well, we were talking a lot about Prey and Predator in Prey, and there's a lot of Prey and Predator going on in our next movie too, Bullet Train. Okay, what am I snatching and or grabbing? A briefcase. You said you wanted simple for your first job back. It doesn't get simpler. You stab me? We're ruining your life the way you ruin mine. Dude, I don't even know you. This time, baby, I'll be on a bullet train. (laughs) I remember I was obsessed with this song at university. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You you rinsed it. 
<laughs> so Ladybug is uh, Ladybug is an unlucky assassin who's determined to do his job peacefully after one too many gigs has gone off the rails. Ladybug is Brad Pitt. Uh, fate, however, may have other plans as his latest mission puts him on a collision course with lethal adversaries from around the globe, all with connected yet conflicting objectives on the world's fastest train. Directed by David Leach, Bullet Train, of course, is Brad Pitt in the lead role, Joey King, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Brian Tyree Henry, Andrew Koji, Hiroyuku Sanada, Benito A. Martinez Ocasio. Also, isn't it Bad Bunny? Bad Bunny. Bad Bunny. And Sandra Bullock. Also, a few other cameos, which we won't spoil. Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, I don't know about you, how you felt, but it felt quite... There was... I see. I saw a lot of movies in there. <laughs> I saw a lot of references and trying stylized. And for me, it was had a very much like a. It was. It was like trying to be like early Guy Ritchie, like Lockstock, and also like a bit Pulp Fictiony. And I wondered if you, if you think that um, Clarice. I'll go to you first. I wonder if like the. I suppose the kind of composition of this film with regards to, like, the kind of delivery, did it feel, like, quite original? Or did it feel a bit too derivative for you? Yeah, you're right. That it's very... Like, there is... And there has been, since the, like, 90s and early 2000s, a brand of movie that's the Guy Ritchie uh, Tarantino ripoff. <laughs> and it's kind of... What's really wild to me is not only that movies like that are still being made in 2022, but also that this movie was made by David Leach, who was the co-director of, or uncredited co-director of John Wick, which I would say is the new, like, thing that people like to rip off, is every action movie is trying to be John Wick. And I'm kind of like, I'm slightly mystified by this movie, because I'm like, why, you created the new template of things that people like to rip off, why didn't you just rip off yourself? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you, you like could say he kind of did yeah. a little bit he in did the a sense little of bit. Deadpool. Yeah. It's like that, the, the trying to do that sort Deadpool. of humour. Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, uh, I just found it weird. Amon? Yeah, no, I, I mostly agree with that. Um, I do think David Leach did, as you say, bring a little bit of a style uh, to it as well. Uh, he's the co-director of John Wick, and I feel like a lot of the... Uh, fight sequences in this were creative in terms of the choreography you know you're fighting in the cramped space and there's a, a lot of stuff that you can do within that and I think they did a pretty good job of that in a sense but yeah there, there are Richie influences there are Tarantino influences but they are imitations that are never going to better the source material that, that they're taken from if that makes sense mm. now I did read somewhere that um, the original book is both based on Maria Beetle I think that's what it's called and Maria Beetle is the character that Sandra Bullock okay, cool. voicelessly plays. She's, um, but I, I did that, that actually. I was reading an article about like whether they should have, because the big thing it's a Japanese book mm-hmm. written by a Japanese author. It's set in Tokyo, so I don't think this many white people have been on this. Tra- <laughs> you know, <laughs> Western people have been on a train like this in in short spaces time. Um, but apparently one of the criticisms of the book when it came out was that it did feed into that Hollywood sensibility. So I wonder if like, you know, adapting it, they've tried, you know, it's like set up for that. Um, but I suppose one of the things I felt about it was they've got Andrew Koji in it and Hiroyuki Sanada in it. And for me, 
that was played quite straight. Mm-hmm. And I liked, that was my favourite bit. And I could have actually had this, I would love to have had this film where it was like far more from that perspective. Because that was, for me, there's a whole... I don't know. I mean, it is the main narrative, but it, it is the main thing. Everything, but it's also like the subplot. Yeah. It's always like it's marginalized, and mm. for me, that was like the most like, oh, this is actually the heart of it, and actually, all this other stuff is quite superficial and shallow, and it's actually distracting. Mm. I felt too distracting with all lots of flashbacks taking you out of the main action. It's like to the point where it's like this doesn't even make sense to keep showing the same scene. Like you're showing me the same scene. I felt that fight scenes were too repetitive. Like they're using the same moves all the time. And I understand the claustrophobic, but like, I also feel like, you know, some people are very good at doing like, you know, corridor scenes like Daredevil's no a really good piercer. one. No piercer, no piercer. <laughs> yeah, like no piercer. Like, right, there's ways of doing it. And I felt, you know, even the bit where like, there's a bit where it was like very Mission Impossible. <laughs> it's like, that's been mm-hmm. done. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And I, I think for me, like, it was so busy focusing on these Western characters who, you know, are kind of like superficial that actually like for me, the heart of it was those. And I kind of wish I could just focus on those ones. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm mixed on. There's a lot, there's a lot you said there. So I'm going to try and remember all the juicy points you made for me to reply to. Um, I, I liked the Hiroyuki, Sanada, Andrew Koji stuff. My issue with it, especially in the latter half of the film, let's have Hiroyuki Sanada talk like a human being and not somebody who talks about fate every third sentence. Uh, <laughs> that was the thing that really... And I think even, even by the end, the characters are confused by the metaphors. I'm confused by the metaphors. Just have him talk like a normal person, please. Um, so that was my issue with that. In terms of... But isn't that the point of it? Like, that's the kind of like... I, I know, but uh, we've seen just that the stereotypical wise sage elder Japanese dudes. We've seen who you can see another play. But this is the problem. When mm. you have it, when you have only Japanese people playing that thing rather than mm. having everyone Japanese, therefore, you know what I mean? Then it doesn't, yeah. then it's not as jarring. And I think that's not, that's not the fault of the character because in the grand scheme of things, it would have worked really well. If mm-hmm. it was all Japanese or That's all true. kind of Asian, but it's because it's like like these you know white Western people are like, mm-hmm. what's he talking about? <laughs> and this, it just becomes a jarring kind of stereotype. Yeah. The second thing in terms of the movie's heart, as I said, I, I think the Hiroyuki Sonata Andrew Koji stuff is good. I really like the Brian Tyree Henry, Aaron Taylor Johnson stuff. Um, to me, there was a lot of heart within the humor uh, of that dynamic i love the sort of banter that they had the thomas the tank engine thing never got old for me uh you're a diesel uh, so, so, <laughs> that was funny to me i enjoyed that and the brotherly sort of relationship we, we get a little probably the most effective flashback when, well, one of the more effective flashbacks of the entire film is when we uh see that like you know it doesn't last very long but that clip of them being young watching to the tv together that brotherly connection it does come through uh, for me. I really enjoyed that dynamic and I think there's a lot of heart within that. I totally uh, <laughs> yeah, like, Clarice no. disagrees, I think we yeah. can definitely say. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, it, it, it's one of those things where I think that we get this movie a lot where the movie, the the structure of the film believes that the pure like star power of the people within it can carry mm-hmm. everything, and it just felt like 
those characters were charming to the extent that Brian Tyree Henry and Aaron Taylor Johnson are charming performers. Like they're both great actors. They had good camaraderie, but like, I don't know if I, there's anything beyond that for me. And I would say that with every single character, like Brad Pitt's character was only funny to the extent that Brad Pitt is quite a goofy yeah, like he's got a very goofy mm-hmm. comic persona that he's been really like trying to push since like Burn After Reading. He's been like, mm-hmm. please, I'm goofy. Um, like I, but I just don't think like the actual substance of those characters, yeah, existed beyond like the paper thin two second introduction. There was so like, many plot holes. There were so many plot holes that made no sense to me. Um, and also like, and on that, you know, on the brother situation. That whole thing was like, you can't be brothers. Oh, because he's black. Like, God, that feels like a, such a basic, like, that's so boring to me. We've done that. We've had that joke. Do you know what I mean? Kind of do better. Isn't it you and can't all, be twins? Something like, oh, you know, but the whole thing was like, no, because they said, oh, because there's a whole thing with skin or something like that. The twins, like, you're not brothers, whatever. You know, it said you can't be twins. Or anyway, look, the whole joke was about the fact that, like, he's black, he's white. They can't be blah, 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 you know. They're making a race joke out of it. It's fine, whatever. But we've seen that sort of thing quite a lot. His accent was terrible. Like, honestly, like, there's a bit where he says, where it's like, and I know it's, I know it's not a big thing, but it's just like, every time he swore, he sounded American. Every, when he says, he says something like, something like there's, you know how you say fast or fast, right? Mm -hmm. So he's a Cockney, supposed to be like Cockney, like Bo Bells. So he should always be saying fast and like glass and like that. Mm. But he, Americans say fast, like that's, and so there's loads of bits like that where even in the same sentence, you can't keep it up. And I know it's little things, but it just feels like they're supposed to be these like specific caricatures and it's like kept on taking me out. Joey King's accent was like Hermione Granger. Her character, what was even point of it? (laughs) Like, it was just a really, just like really basic, again, basic, like, it just, everything was like really half-baked for me. Mm. And, you know, as much as I know the fluorescent lights and all that type of thing, it just didn't feel, mm. there's a few laugh, but I, I felt like I was laughing at it more than laughing with it. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I thought Joey King's character arc was fairly interesting in the end. I can't get into why. Um, but yeah, that, that worked for me. I do agree with you in terms of, the flashbacks of it all, I think it goes, especially in the last half an hour, it just needs to calm down with that. There's a point where we get the journey of a water bottle at a pivotal moment in the final act. And I'm like, you, you, we, we don't really need that, especially at that moment. But it's also the product product placement of it all. <laughs> yeah, that's not true. Like, food, what is it, Fuji? It's like, how much do they pay to have, make sure it's a Fuji bottle? <laughs> but it's, it's, it's the last, like, I... As shallow as it is, I do agree with you in, on that point. The first 90 minutes or so, I was having a good time with this movie. I think it's the last 30 minutes where the bullet train goes off the rails. Um. <laughs> no, no, no. You can't make that joke because the point of the bullet train is that it doesn't go off the rails. Oh, like awful. In the entire history of the bullet train, there have been no injuries and no fatalities. I will not let you shame oh, the my... bullet train because like... <laughs> <laughs> this is like <laughs> the whole fucking point of the bullet. The entire fucking point of the bullet train is that it can't oh go my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one of the plot holes that I thought there's um 
There's the actor who plays Hero in, I can't remember his name, but Hero. Hero Nakamura. Save the Chile, they save the world. Maki Osa, Uh, I believe is his name. Okay, yeah. So, like, there's a whole thing where, for some reason, he's, like, annoyed with Brad Pitt's character, Lady Bird, and he keeps telling him to get off the train. Yeah, I didn't know if that was a spoiler. Anyway, he's lost his ticket. And so he has to keep getting, he's trying to, like, get off the train. We still have have these things twice. Like, it's like, oh, you know, this is a character. And then we never see him again. Yeah. There's inexplicably, for some reasons, like, all this stuff is going on on this train. Like, fights, snakes, deaths. Like, but apparently there's only two people working on this train. (laughs) And, like, those things like that, it's like, I get it's, like, supposed to be heightened reality. But it's also, like, again... Where is these people? Because, like, you've got things that are quite realistic, but then other things, it's just like, let's just forget that they even exist. Well, this is the thing that is my actually biggest criticism of the film, because as you say, there are things in here which are quite realistic. There's some really gory, grim stuff that happens within this movie as well, uh, which, as you say, is very realistic. And then, and then the last 30 minutes of this movie happens, and it's almost like a different movie entirely. It gets so cartoonish in a way that just feels like, what is going on here? Um, It feels like we're in an entirely different movie. There are people surviving things just in the most ridiculous way possible, where previously it had been, as you say, very realistic in terms of the hand-to-hand fighting, in terms of the consequences of that, in terms of some of the, I mean, I'm going to say deaths, it's a movie with assassins in it. I don't think that's a spoiler. Um, So yeah, that, that was very weird to me. That tonal imbalance... Well, they work. changed it from, like, a normal, like, crime thing to, like, let's make it Deadpool. Like, I was yeah. thinking when that's, like, you mentioned the slow-mo Fuji bottle water thing. Mm-hmm. Isn't there, like, a bit in it, in the slow-mo in, in Deadpool, where, like, he sits his ass, like, that bit where he's in the car. That foot, you know, where it's, like, yeah. the car flips over and it's, like, yeah. it's exactly mm-hmm. kind of like that. Mm-hmm. And then it's, like, that kind of, oh, now we're in super... And this is what's frustrating a lot about action films nowadays. Where, and it's, like, Fast and Furious and all that type of stuff, where... Mm-hmm. You know, now we've got to a point where people can survive things that shouldn't be done. Even Mission Impossible, you know? Mm. It's like now we're getting people, because they're trying to, like, compete with super genre. It's like, they're human beings. These are human, <laughs> fallible people. Can we just mm-hmm. make, like, it would be more scary. If, like, I want I want realist, realism far more. Like, I feel mm. like sometimes we get far more realism in superhero films than we're doing stuff that's mm. based on human beings. Like, yeah. some, some superhero films are far more realistic than the yeah. Fast and Furious franchise. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why the John Wick franchise is so good, because yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the, there's there's heightened stuff in that, obviously. Yeah, but Hotel when, Artemis when, was a great addition, I thought. Yeah, when, when he takes a fall and when he gets stabbed, like, he's feeling the effects and he's getting tired out as he's fighting... Uh, on and um, it's one of the reasons why even when i think back to the daredevil netflix series why those fight scenes are so good because you can see him getting absolutely exhausted even as he's trying to fight it's one of the reasons why those long yeah. takes especially i think there's one in the prison in season three and obviously that iconic one i think early on in season one that's why those scenes still hold up today you can go back and watch them now 10 20 years later and be like yes they did their damn thing um and yeah we're, we're not going to remember bullet train uh, much <laughs> I think. and also like just on that whole thing where it's like oh we need western people in it. there's like, even a, like a casting of a like an old biddy woman like with blonde hair like typical and it's just like why have you cast like a white woman in that role it's like it's a, mm. you're still into it's a train from Tokyo 
to Kyoto, Tokyo to Kyoto. Mm. You're like, even that bit, it just felt like there are so many ways where you could have just cast like actual, like, because no one's heard of that woman. Yeah. Like you could have just cast a Japanese woman, Japanese actress to do that. And it's like little things like that would just feel like you don't really give a shit. It just felt, it, it felt just very much like jarring the imposition that these Westerners were having on this story. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it's like, I would love to see a Japanese version of ad- adaptation of Marie Beatrice. Cause I feel like mm. I'd far more enjoy that. Cause it would have felt like, I don't know. It wouldn't feel as just whitewashed. Mm. It's like a very like tourist perspective of Japan. Tourist, yes. Like there's jokes about the toy, the smart toilet. There's the Brad Pitt keeps having this line about, oh, I expected them to be polite here. There's like, and I there's that scene where like Karen Fukuhara from The Boys is there, and she gets like a minute of screen time, and you're like, I was only there for a minute. Yeah, awesome. She should have been like one of the main characters. We all know and love that woman. So like, come on. (laughs) That's what I mean. It's like you did. There are plenty of people that you could have cast in this movie, Mm -hmm. and it was still been still been you know. It wouldn't have felt as jarring, yeah. Anyway, okay, right. Let's get off that train <laughs> and let's do our vote. So, screen, stream, or skip? I'm on. I'm going to say stream. Um, I had a decent enough time with this, even though, as we've uh, been talking about, it has a few issues. Um, few. But, <laughs> but, yeah, the, the first 90 minutes or so especially, uh, I was having a good time. It's very, very shallow, but Brad Pitt's still a movie star. Uh, the banter between uh, his character and even his hum- his handler, uh, Sandra Bullock, uh, I thought that that was quite funny at points. I like that he's... I'm going on too much. Stream. Yeah, you're like... <laughs> I caught like, myself... Yeah, I know, I'm, 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 I'm a being a film. That's not what we do here. Stream. Stop talking. No, you can just give me a little... Give, it, give, us, one, give us one sentence roundup. <laughs> it's an I okay movie. You can't. I can't do it. <laughs> Um, Clarice, screen, stream, or skip? Um, skip the movie, but I would like to say no hard feelings to the actual bullet train. I really want to go on the bullet train. <laughs> wow. I, I love the bullet train, and I really want to go one day. So please, bullet train, this is not about you. <laughs> this is shameless shilling for the bullet train is what is going please, on right now. My goodness. Please, bullet train, let me go on you. Um, well, I'm going to be, I don't know. You know what, stream because hey. you know, I, like I do think it's like a two-star movie. Like, but it's also there are worse things you could watch on a Saturday afternoon when there's nothing else to do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's one of those things where it's like, eh. anyway, there you go. That's my review. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going in a totally different direction now uh, to Lebanon. Well, to Palestine via Lebanon. This is Fadia's tree. Hello, it's Sarah. Guess where I am at the moment? Don't say in Palestine. <laughs> you know, Sarah, why you don't you try to go and see my village, Sasa, and see the tree? It's so close to the border. I hate borders. I hate borders so much. Uh, this is Fajr's tree. While millions of birds migrate freely in the sky, Fajr, a Palestinian refugee in Lebanon, yearns for the ancestral homeland she's denied. She challenges Sarah, the director, to find an ancient mulberry tree that stands as witness to her family's existence. With only inherited memories, a blind man, and a two-headed dragon as her guides, 
Along the way, Sarah meets with ornithologists whose observations on the homing instincts of birds reveal the unresolved problems of the region. Adopting a bird's eye perspective to reflect on freedom of movement, exile, and the hope of return, Badger's Tree is the story of a 15-year friendship that stays connected across a divided land and a fragmented people. Uh, this is directed by Sarah Baddington, who is the director of the synopsis, and is quite, you know, involved within the story. This is a, uh, it's a documentary, but I think it's also like a, a personal documentation of of this woman, Sarah, and her friendship with Fadja. I mean, Hannah, what do you think that that brings to this story? Because it's taking, you know, something of massive historical and present political context and kind of narrowing it down right into an individual relationship. You know, on one hand, I I was I was like, do I need this person's like, do I need to hear a voice and be in it? Mm. But I think one, but then I realized like, in a way, I like the fact that um, she's get like, she's not just like documenting, but she's involved. Like she, it feels like she cares. And I think, you know, especially what's going on with this conflict, it feels like a lot of people talking, not people actually getting, like actually understand or raising their voice or putting their voice to it or like sharing it. You know, you could have easily just said, oh, I'm just here to document, you know, this is me. Um, this is objective, but actually it feels like, no, she she cares about her friend and she's doing this in a way for a friend. And I, so yeah, so I, I, I kind of, um, you know, that felt like allyship in a way by making sure that she's, heard in it as well but obviously it's uh, what well, I really like the fact that um you know there's a bit in it where Fadia uh, there she goes to her like a to her home and I think it's a like her mother speaking and I love the fact that they capture all of it yeah. and then and then and she said and she's like yeah the British they caused all this it's like yes they fucking did mm-hmm. like I'm so like I think I just really appreciate that you're getting all the voices in there and people actually showing like the culpability because I think you know, this week, um, like, a five-year-old girl got killed, and Palestinian girl got killed in bombings in Gaza. And they said it's the Israeli strikes were saying, oh, it's because there was a militant threat. The militant threat of a five-year-old. And it's like, we constantly, like, there's this weird thing. Where does, and I think Trevor Noah did it, said it really well. Where does truth start? Where do we start on this conflict? Because, to be honest, like... The very that I it feels like to me the the start of it began like with the British when they basically decided that they're gonna build create a state in a place that already you know it already had people and I think the way that this really documents like the, the, how the right of return has been denied to millions of refugees Palestinians whereas if you are Jewish you can come to Israel no matter what. You don't even born there. If you can prove that you're Jewish, you get to go there. Whereas Palestinians, you literally, and there's a lovely scene where like the the kids are talking about which which, which, which town are you from? It's like Haifa, like like that, and it's like they'd be. It's like they don't want to forget. It's like do don't forget where you come from mm-hmm. because it's like there's it's they're being robbed of their history and heritage. And at some point, there's going to be a generation who don't even know that. And I just it makes me. I think in a way that it really got across the like severity of a situation where the collective memory of Palestine could potentially become exist because of murder pretty much that's going on, continues to go on, the shrinking of the land to make way from Israeli settlers and the fact that no one's doing about doing anything about it. Yeah, and I think like I I mean everything you said was so beautifully put. And I, I think what this felt like 
what Sarah Bennington has been so smart in doing is recognizing, I think, that this friendship that she had with this woman and this whole thing with the tree, trying to find the tree from her, her hometown where she grew up, like how a, a tiny, tiny thing can be so representative of everything that you just said. Uh, that said, like, I think the documentary does, there is a lot of context, there's a lot of subtitles on screen explaining a little mm -hmm. bit of history. Um, Ahmad, like, what did you think about the structure and just the formal approach to how it was put together in terms of those subtitles, history, providing information? Yeah, no, I thought it was really gracefully done, elegantly done. Um, you know, all the connections uh, that the film was going for really felt organic in how it was put together, um, which I liked. Uh, the thing which really stuck out to me in terms of the craft of it all is the geopolitical stuff and the, the, the way in which they refer to these diplomats came in with their blunt crayons and divided up the country um, yeah. and how they articulate that both with the subtitles and the visuals that really landed for me. Um, so I thought that was in particular was well done. Yeah. I, I think my one, one of my, I think the, the story being presented is, as we said, fantastic. And I, I love the choice to tell this story. I had, I think there's some things about the way the documentary was put together that I sort of wish had been done differently. One of them for me is the ornithologist stuff with the, the birds. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's just me. I, it felt unnecessary and it felt weird a little bit for an outsider to come in and be like, this story's just like birds, isn't it? I don't know. I think maybe if, if the person who decided to do all the stuff with connecting with bird patterns and bird migrations and the freedom of birds had been like a Palestinian artist saying, yeah. oh, I find that this clicks with my experiences, I would have been much more open to it. I, think, I feel like an outsider coming in and being like, this is like this. Yeah, it was a tenuous, I mean, yeah. it kind of felt like a tenuous yeah. link a little bit. And I, and I will say this, I think, the this she I believe the the director is actually like a visual artist and it kind of like it's that comes across in here it's quite meandering in some ways that felt okay this is getting out I feel like you could be more effective because for me the effective is the personal in this and like there's you know that brilliant scene in the when and they're in the barber shop you know that sort of thing and you see like the image of like the Palestinian freedom on the wall and like the kind of and even that moment just I think some and also Fadia is such an interesting person she's so she's so good that sometimes it's like you don't need to compare <laughs> look you get it they you know birds they don't have to worry about borders <laughs> like I just like, let's just keep it grounded <laughs> in the reality of these people because that is poignant enough than trying to create this like metaphor of like all that other stuff. But I can understand it, but it, it just wasn't to my taste. Mm. Abon, was it to your taste? Do you have a rebuttal and anything to add to that? Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, I thought it was a nice sort of a contrast with the people who are from Palestine, with these people who are sort of very just concerned with the data of it all. Um, I thought that was what the uh, being work was going for, and it worked for me. Um, yeah, I, I like I like the ornithologist stuff. I know about birds. Um, <laughs> feed the birds. Top of some pear. <laughs> um, but uh, feed the birds. <laughs> that's the one. Tappins, tappins, tappins. 
tune. It's a banger. Um, I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> you know what's so funny in my head? Because so, you know when you watch so many movies and like, you're like, oh, so every time I think of Feed the Birds, I think of Home Alone 2. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and it's like, I know that's not even from the movie, but because I watch so, I have such an association with like, she's the pigeon lady. Yep, 100%. <laughs> yeah. I think, does anyone else have anything to add? I think we can probably wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, free Palestine. Mm. Yeah. Free Palestine. Fabulous tree. Let's decide if we're going to screen, stream, or skip it. Hannah. I'm going to say stream. Um, I think, you know, I, I'm always like, watch anything that will educate you further, uh, give voice to Palestinian voices. So, mm-hmm. um, but I, I don't know if I, it's strong enough for me that I feel like you need to see it in the cinema. And one. Uh, I would like to take what Hannah just said, copy it, and paste it. It's a stream for me. Yeah, I'd also say stream. It's such an interesting story, and listening to Fadja talk was amazing, but I don't think you need to go to the cinema to see the bird stuff. <laughs> Sorry for birds. <laughs> I'm apologizing to the bullet train and to the bird population. <laughs> oh, wow. Some serious, no, no. Unpo- serious unpopular bird opinions. Um, no, okay. No. Well, speaking of unpopular opinions, it's time for our Okay, guys. Uh, so, as we said at the top, we're going to be talking about Warner Bros, uh, Warner Brothers, HBO Max, Batgirl being shelved. I mean, we don't really care as much about Scooby being shelved, do we? Um, I care about Scooby. Oh, Scooby sequel. Okay, Scooby sequel being <laughs> shelved. Um, there is like, I feel like there's been, we've had a litany of like news stories come out of it. Uh, I don't know if anyone happens to be watching uh, Good Morning Britain. <laughs> At eight twenty on Friday morning, but you I was told me the wrong time, woman. No, I thought they said eight thirty. I realised that no, that's what time I finished. My bad. But mm. you can watch it and catch up if you want to. <laughs> um, I was invited on uh, in a classic morning breakfast TV way on that show. Let's find a tenuous link to try and make it about a gender issue. <laughs> and so I was invited on to ask, "Are um, female heroes that super?" And it was on the kind of idea that actually Batgirl show, because I think some people say it didn't test well, uh, the movie. And so I was invited on there as, um, you know, a film expert. And uh, there was another person on the panel who was invited on because... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She, uh, you know what, 23-year-old Dominique Samuels, I'm sure she's nice to some people, Um, not people... (laughs) not people who like Captain Marvel um but it was interesting because it's kind of like one of those things where I was on it it was like do you watch you know you're like do you watch anything mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm talking to someone who's actually educated on that she suggested that Miss Marvel had been cancelled I don't think that was true <laughs> um and it says people don't want to be lectured and it was like but who are these people <laughs> Who are these people? Anyway, so I've I already been lectured. I go to you know people go to actual lectures. Yeah, <laughs> at museums and universities, and academic institutions. There's actual things where they do lectures, and you go specifically to be lectured. Yeah, <laughs> it was funny because there was a thing where she was like, "Oh, the female things are too political." It's like, no, these films have always been political. She says, "No, people don't want like things like Captain Marvel. It made a billion. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's like I don't know who what you do anyway. You know what I mean. Anyway, so that was a it was a, that was a diverting uh, morning. Uh, but anyway, let's get back to it. So I suppose there are questions about like, um, you know, that now we found out that Warner Bros is going to be HBO Max is now linking up with Discovery. The head of Discovery is now dictating the terms of what they expect. And it was a weird thing where it's like HBO Max is male skewed. You know what really annoys me is that, like, I think about the stuff on Discovery. I don't watch any of that shit. (laughs) I don't watch reality shows apart from, like, maybe the Kardashians. Like, I don't watch real... I don't watch any of the Bravo shows or whatever. Like, so it really frustrates me that we're still kind of in this time of, like, male-skewed, female-skewed when it comes to, you know, in the superhero genre. Because that's what they're kind of really saying, isn't it? It's like, but we all enjoy it. So, I don't know. Let's... I'll go... Clarice, I'm going to come to you first. Because um, you nearly had a meltdown at the thought that Peacemaker was going to be cancelled. You were literally like, I'm taking my earrings out. <laughs> Yo, Warner Bros, send me your location. I just want to talk. I like didn't sleep because it was the night before the Warner Brothers presentation that there was suddenly these rumours that like every HBO Max original was going to be cancelled. <laughs> just like this sleep that night because... I don't have anything if I don't have Peacemaker season two. <laughs> I have nothing happening in my life except for that show. And um, I guess I'm male skewed because of saying, <laughs> saying that. Because I like to lean in and watch Peacemaker appointment. Yeah. As a woman, as Cheryl Sandberg says, <laughs> lean in, girls. I lean in, girls, towards the TV to, to uh. lean in. that's Um, what that's what fat joe said all those years ago but he's like lean back (laughs) now lean in lean in lean in but the song was called lean back right it was yeah because apparently that one women like to do we like to lean back and watch real housewives is that what discovery does i don't know i didn't even know and it was like discovery channel i thought that was like a i thought it was like national geographic do you know i mean discovery oh documentaries that's what i thought it was I think that's what it started out as, but now it's just gotten, you know, it's like National Geographic. Now it's getting Geographic. on my damn nerves. <laughs> National Geographic is now like ancient aliens and shit, right? So, yeah. Um, I think my overall take on the entire situation is that, like, this is the really kind of frustrating, upsetting, and quite scary reality of like monopolies. You know, we've had this conversation with Disney and 20th Century Fox merging and all the shit that got cancelled and people lost losing their jobs. Like, all the stuff that happened then is basically we're seeing a repeat of it, but it just comes out in new forms. And I think there are, there are nuances to the conversation about what kind of properties are valued and what aren't, what isn't valued. But I think at the bottom line of it is that uh, Discovery has merged with Warner Brothers. The new guy in charge is not from a film industry background and has arbitrarily decided that theatrical is now going to be the priority. Streaming is not the priority, but also they said that they're spending more money on HBO Max. It's very confusing. It doesn't really seem like they know what they're doing, which they wouldn't because they're not from a film industry background. But like that's and like that's just that's just where we are like as as an industry at the moment is everything's mm-hmm. kind of in free fall we see it in journalism as well things are buying up things and that getting merged together and people lose their jobs projects get thrown out the window and i i 
but again, I kind of like last week, I see it more from like taking a step back and looking at the entire context of it and going, okay, Batgirl at the end of the day, it's just one tiny, tiny piece of this massive puzzle. Um, and yeah, the only other thing I'll say is that like, I remember Steven Spielberg, like I think it was in 2013, he was talking about there is going to come a, a day when this shit's going to just collapse. This whole blockbuster and streaming, I guess, 2013 wasn't much of a thing, but I think he'd say that now. Like, all of this is just going to collapse one day because we're getting mounting, mounting pressure and it's getting more and more extreme in terms of how much of money is being expected to made, be made off of these projects. So I'm waiting for that day, I guess, when everything yeah. is going to get, like, much worse. But then I think after the thing, that's when we get the opportunity for good things to happen, yeah. maybe. I don't know about you, Gamal, but do, do you, uh, you know, for me, this is like, this whole situation is like the most glaring example of where, you know, we're looking at creativity as content rather than art and also where the business is always being championed for the show. Like the business, it's the bottom line before anything else. Yeah, that's exactly uh, right, probably more concisely than uh, I'd ever put it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, thank I you. I thought you were going to say, like, Clarice put it, and I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Clarice who? No, you're joking. Uh, also very well put as well, Clarice. I enjoyed listening to your soliloquy just then. It was you wonderful. You don't have to lie. You don't have to lie. It's fine. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, like, I was thinking earlier... Um, I worked in a number of cinemas and I remember especially when I started working for the first cinema sorry but when you said that I was like I imagined you like settling kids dad's got a a story to tell you about my days back in my day (laughs) um when I first started working for cinemas I kind of was excited because I was like, you know, I'm in the, I love films. I'm sure in the place where my colleagues love films, the managers love films, and we're all going to get to sort of experience that and enjoy that together while putting on a great cinema experience for others. That was very clearly <laughs> not the case, uh, I found out, because it's run by people who don't care and who have basically never watched at, at, at certain points any of the films on show. All they care about is making sure everything runs smoothly and making sure they get as much money as possible. And this has that same energy. And it frustrates the hell out of me on so many different levels. What Warner Bros. have done, especially with their DC uh, decision-making over the last week, it stands in stark contrast to what marvel have done for me because i know in a general industry sense yes this is where we're slowly moving towards but as has been the case for the last two decades almost a lot of people want all of the success that the marvel cinematic universe has gotten without realizing how they did it they just want all the success all the money all the love without doing the work because yes even though we as an industry are, you know, there's always the pressure of how much money something is going to make and all that sort of stuff. 
still to this day, when I look at what the MCU has done and when I look at Kevin Feige especially, there is a passion for the characters. There is a passion for the work. There's a passion for the people and the talent who make it and a respect for them that Warner Brothers do not have, especially if this week is anything to go by. They dumped this Batgirl news without telling anybody any of the talent involved, which is something that they've done also fairly recently because do you remember about a year ago when they made the decision to put a whole bunch of their releases straight to streaming without telling people like Christopher Nolan, without telling people like Patty Jenkins. Nolan was right. (laughs) That is like... Just a crappy, crappy business practice. And the thing which makes this Batgirl situation a thousand times more frustrating to me is really two things. One, this is a still to this day rare person of color led production from the top down, really, because you have two Moroccan filmmakers who are coming off the back of some great success in Bad Boys for Life and on, and on, and on their work on Miss Marvel. Uh, they, are, they are, of course, a deal in Bilal. And you've got an Afro-Latina in the lead in Leslie Grace. That is rare, especially for characters like a Batgirl. And the fact that they are a casualty of this money-saving initiative really, really ticks me off because we're still, in 2022, having conversations about whether or not a person of color-led film will have will be a success. The whole reason that they're writing this off is because they don't believe in it enough that it's going to make them enough money rather than just writing off as a tax write-down, which just infuriates me. But then on top of that, now these boneheads who've made the decision are throwing the movie under the bus and saying that we did this to protect the DC brand. Throwing these filmmakers under the bus, and you mentioned Hannah. This, he didn't care about protecting the DC brand when he brought out the original Justice. This is the thing. <laughs> this is the thing. I mean, oh, and, and to do that, and you mentioned Hannah the test screenings uh, earlier. This film tested just the same way that I believe either it or it chapter two tested. They took it chapter two or it whatever to cinemas. They made seven hundred million. There's no way to tell. Yeah. when and how a movie is going to hit. Also, I always think about test screenings, like, when, from what I've heard about test screenings is that they'll do it in the suburbs, like, there'll be like a suburban cinema, or they'll invite people that, that's like the kind of typical, like, white America, do you know what I mean? Like, kind of that sort of thing. So it's like, is that, rep- I don't get it, they want middle of, middle America to, like, love this, people who, like, either ask this, but it's like, you know what? Maybe they're not going to like this. Cinema doesn't, as much as people want to, it's just kind of thing, an interesting, again, on this, like, Good Morning Britain thing with this woman. It's like, mm. people don't want that. It's like, some people do. Like, mm. you you might not like something, but, like, other people will enjoy that. And I think this, and actually, like, we've had, what annoys me about the kind of, like, oh, they don't think it's going to do well. You know what? Catwoman. Like, that basically fucks mm. women for female superheroes for ages and mm-hmm. even like Electra to an extent even yeah. though that wasn't but like Catwoman is like a perfect example of like when people don't understand a character think that they can throw anything out with a woman and then suddenly mm. they wouldn't make anything more but if you look at the run of like female superhero films recently right you've got Wonder Woman made it was like the 10th highest grossing film of 
2017, like third hundred grade female. And then that in that year, two female led films were the first and second, Beauty and the Beast mm-hmm. and Last Jedi. So women can sell films. But this is the thing. Captain Marvel, over a billion. Black Widow was the fourth highest choice. How many more examples do you yeah. need? And then every single one of the Marvel series, Hawkeye, Miss Marvel, WandaVision, have all been critically acclaimed. Mm-hmm. So it's like, when people say, you know, even that thing, it's like, why wouldn't it sell? And also, what frustrates me as well is like, the Cloverfield Paradox, even if you think this film's shit, <laughs> like, Cloverfield Paradox, they were like, this isn't good enough. Okay, we're just going to drop it online and that's it. You don't have to do the marketing for it. And to be honest, this is enough marketing it needs. Just literally put it on HBO Max now. More people are going to watch that film now because you're trying not to put it out. Exactly. It's like, Bob, it's like, it's like, it's the Streisand effect. It's like, now everyone wants to see it. Do you know what I mean? Everyone wants to know. Yeah. And I just think like, you know, that's the, it, you get, and I, you know, I know that they own the rights. I know it's their thing, but it's also, there's, there's just like a, it's like a, the gentleman's agreement. <laughs> like there is a pact you make like to the, to the artist. And I, and honestly, I think Warner Bros are really shooting themselves in the foot because who is going to want to work with Exactly. Them? Exactly. If they going to just suddenly do that, I would be like... It's know. the most disrespectful thing I've seen in a hot minute in this industry and it pisses me off on so many different levels. It's Arabophobic because Dylan Bilal, a Moroccan filmmaker, is anti-Arab, it's anti-black, it's anti-Afro-Latino, it's anti-trans. Fuck all this. Hannah Clarice... This man, this CEO is talking about canning Batgirl to protect the DC brand in the same breath that he says he's saying that he's excited about the Flash, that all is good in Flashland, yeah. in the same week that the star of the Flash is, is reportedly running around the US carrying a gun in the bulletproof press talking about being in cults. What in the... Oh, it just makes me so annoyed. I've, ne- I, I've, I've never been this angry about a piece of news in a while. This is the thing. I think you have to think about it in the framework that Batgirl got canned because it was made for streaming. And I would question, why the fuck was Batgirl being made for straight to streaming? Why was it not a theatrical? Because this is the thing. If it had been made for theatrical release, it would still be coming out because Warner Brothers has dedicated itself to still releasing Aquaman, Shazam, Splat. Like, yeah. it's still, the, the theatrical slate is completely unaffected. The reason Batgirl was cancelled is Scoob, too. I'm sad about Scoob. I'm going to say it. <laughs> Pouring one out for Scoob. Maya Hawke is going to be in it. <laughs> oh, that's why. It all makes sense now. <laughs> no, and I that was but, no, the reason these films were cancelled is because they had all been directly made and I'm sure, like, the film would have been great, but it was made for streaming, and I'm sure that affects it in some way. But I think that's the bottom line question is, yeah. When I look at some of the DC, like, TV shows, like when I said, oh, the quality, it's like, some of the quality of these DC streaming stuff, but they're fine, because it's TV. You can allow, mm. you can give it, like, a certain amount of license to that. So if it's made yeah. for streaming, why can't it just be as good as it needs to be for streaming? God, the amount of shit Netflix stuff we've had that site for streaming. Yeah, People will well, like watch Peacemaker. it. Peacemaker couldn't, you couldn't really... They made Morbius. They put Morbius out. <laughs> like, how is it like, it can't be any worse than fucking yeah. Morbius. Like, and that's the thing, I don't think it's about it's not about the quality of the movie, it's just like but That's what I'm saying. Not, sets, yeah, yeah, the sets, the special effects, the money that they it's put... It's a tax write-off. They want to the claim money. that money back, basically. I see it's fundamentally yeah. that. So when people are saying, oh, it's because it's not good enough and trying to make that's what I'm saying it's, so it's the whole thing that. about like female yeah. superheroes oh it's not it's good it's like that's not even it because there are plenty of shitty male-led superhero films that get released all the time yeah. 
The I, question is why wasn't why wasn't Batgirl? That's what I want to ask. Why was Batgirl a straight to streaming? That's, yeah. Why wasn't it invested in? Because yeah. Gail Simone's run of Batgirl has been New York Times bestselling. Like like people like that. That's that's a prominent character, yeah. and I've had a really interesting like kind of evolution within the comic books. People want that. Well, some people yeah. do want that, and people want uh, people who are fans of these want to see that diversity people i want more birds of prey like that was a great movie and that got kind of fucked by pandemic also people holding like pandemic like films to a standard of pre-release mm. like pre-pandemic it's like that's mm. not yeah mm. sorry i'm still like literally can't get over this one. yeah and if you think about it like 90 million is not a huge amount if we're talking yeah. about marvelous dropping 200 million for their movies like that i can point to that's the reason it got that that it, they are not happy releasing it in cinemas because they spent 90 million dollars on it which is and it's a huge amount of money but for this guy who's now in charge of warner brothers who thinks that every theatrical release should be a one billion dollar blockbuster hit? That's the problem. Yeah. He's going to look at Batgirl and go, absolutely not. That, and that, that's why it got canned. And that's what's really frustrating. What you said, bring back to the Spielberg thing, is that the 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 markers of success are now just getting ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like you know, when I look at things like um, you know, Thor: Love and Thunder. Mm-hmm. That hasn't made, you know, close to... I thought that's like... A, it's like made half a million, maybe? I think it's made more than that. It's, 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 it's going to make more than that. It's, it's definitely a big success. I'm not sure well, that's no, the best example. As, yeah, well, no, it hasn't made a billion, though. It hasn't made a billion, but it's made a lot. Multiverse of Madness has made far more than for Love and Thunder. Multiverse of Madness is nearly on a billion. Yeah, not on it yet. But Spider-Man, what I'm saying, it's not done. You know what I mean? Eternals didn't do amazingly well either. But it's like we're going to get Eternals too. So what I'm saying Mm -hmm. is like, you know, is there a way of like re-crunching the numbers and stopping such massive expectations? Because again, you know, you mentioned it. That was made for 35 million. Look at at, uh, M. Night Shyamalan. He is the king of putting a little and getting a lot and his own money into it. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to start thinking about, and especially when we're talking about, um, you know, what's going on with VFX and stuff like that. You know, maybe if we stop putting so much pressure on relying so much on these things, maybe we can do stuff in a way that doesn't doesn't require that amount. I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but surely we need to get to a. This is the problem. Everything is reactive, and done, nothing feels proactive. Like, do you know what I mean? We're not trying to get fixed but it's like fucking nuts like climate change and all this type of stuff everything's too mm. late <laughs> and mm. i feel like you know that's why it's going to collapse because we just kind of keep doing it and keep doing it until the whole system's going to break and then you know but then that's when the indie art house films come in it's like hey that's baby when... we're yeah. back i cannot wait to speak about nope next week <laughs> yeah i'm not i'm not saying it's perfect but with marvel there is very clearly a respect for the talent, for the art that goes along with the commerce. And obviously the commerce is a big part of uh, Marvel being the biggest thing in the industry right now. But what I've seen from this past week from Warner Brothers has just been the disrespect. I mean, I think, I think Adil and Bilal are going to come out. I think, I think all the artists involved in this are going to come out okay. But if they were even lesser known than they already were, imagine... What in what is clearly a cost-saving exercise? I think we can all, everyone who's behind the story, can agree on that. The CEO is throwing these filmmakers under the bus, saying that their work isn't good enough. You're not going to convince me that Adil and Bilal, seeing the things that they've done in recent times, 
plus yeah. Leslie Grace, who was a standout in In the Heights, plus Michael Keaton in your I mean, movie. Leslie Grace was in a standout for me in In the Heights. Okay, but, but, but I'm I mean, the, excited to see what she's gonna do. Yeah, yeah. Michael Keaton is in your movie. J.K. Simmons, all this talent. You got Michael Keaton, OG Batman in the movie, and you're gonna tell me that's not gonna sell? I'm sorry, I don't believe you. I don't believe the whole notion you that... You've got a feel for Michael Keaton, though. Oh, my gosh, you Michael, for Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. <laughs> yeah. Not only was he in shit Morbius. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but now in some things, it's like, man can't catch a break. He really like can't. <laughs> he's, he's a big part of The Flash. I'm not sure that movie is coming out. Batgirl has now been shelved. I think he's going to oh, make a cameo in Aquaman. And, and Aquaman is now... about it. Yeah. The Flash will come out. They'll do a thing where they just won't include... They're just going to bring it out. And Ezra Miller, their, you know, cult leader now, apparently. <laughs> allegedly. Yes, um, I think that what they'll probably end up doing is just like... You know how, like, they didn't include, like, Ansel El- Elgort on the... Um, yeah, ...publicity train for West Side Story. West Side Story. Yeah. I wonder if they're just going to do that and say, hey, look, we want this movie to come out. Um, yeah. It anyway, just hey, infuriates me. Let's do, let's, let's wrap this up. Let's do final <laughs> thoughts, Clarice. As one caveat. Just like... like Marvel has not always been respectful to it's disrespectful to quite a lot of the people it was. Oh, Terrence Howard. Yeah. Scarlett Johansson. Let's remember that she sued Marvel because she was not paid what she uh Well, because they released it didn't get the theatrical window, so it wasn't gonna make the back end. Not they didn't make an agreement with her so that she got her fair dues that were written into a contract mm-hmm. comic book writers are regularly not paid for their work uh yeah. and when their stuff is basically stolen and put on screen so i just want to i just want to carry yeah. it i did Marvel... say that it wasn't perfect no, <laughs> no, 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 no let's not pretend that it's yeah. all fucked the industry's yeah. all fucked the industry's yeah. all fucked marvel have definitely been very guilty of fucking yeah. over filmmakers and actors i don't think they're that different from dc dc is just having a harder time because like they don't know what the fuck they're doing yeah Yeah. it's incompetence like uh, coupled with capitalist malice marvel just has the capitalist malice it doesn't have the incompetence Also, I do think it's like they need a Feige. It's like, God, the way people talk about Feige. But it's also like, the way people talk about Feige is if he's like, (laughs) I feel like he's pedestaled so highly. It's like, this is the guy who was responsible for for the Dark World. This is also the guy who was responsible like, for Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame to the biggest, like, blockbusters of sure, all time. Sure, but, so, like, let's, let's not just... pretend that he has this. <laughs> no, no, he has, of course he's, of course he's, no, but, but like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like, I feel like sometimes it's like, yeah, allow people to make errors. Like, let's not, uh, what I'm saying is like this mythic kind of thing and I think it gives someone too much of an ego. He needs to be, you know, he needs to be knocked down a few oh, pegs. gosh. And you're, Ken Feige. And you're the person to do it then. <laughs> What's he hiding under that hat? Oh, my God. <laughs> under that baseball cap. What's he under hiding? Under his many, 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 it's, many, 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 many baseball caps. It's, <laughs> it's another baseball cap. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. It's, it's Moon Knight season two. <laughs> <laughs> Very excited. It's, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> we win. We win. They better. They better. <laughs> oh, God. My scars, Gary, but I can't wait. <laughs> My my final final thought. What's your thought? My my final thought on all this is that I'm I'm gonna bring it back to the whole DC of it all. The best DC on screen will ever be. It will never be eclipsed. It is the pinnacle. The DC animated universe, and when I say that, I'm talking about the four series run of Batman the animated series. One of, if not no, one of the greatest super animated shows of all time 
Superman the Animated Series, Justice League the Animated Series, the best super animated show of all time, and Batman Beyond. That is the pinnacle of DC inter- interconnected storytelling on screen. It is superb. It is the blueprint which the DCEU should have been working from all these years. I don't understand why they haven't done it. Literally everything they need to know about how to make DC Marvel level, in some ways exceeding Marvel level, resides in the DCAU. Um, but yeah, which, which makes what's happened not over this last week, but over the last 10 years, heartbreaking for me because I'm a massive DC fan. To this day, Batman is still my favorite superhero of all time. And the DCAU is the reason why that's the case. I know how cool these characters are and how great they can be on a live action screen. I haven't seen that uh, much over the last 10 years. And that's disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, we indeed. For a whole conversation about DC without bringing up the animated. <laughs> <laughs> I was never going to allow that to happen, Clarice. You know this. <laughs> I can't wait into, as someone said, I saw on Twitter say, I can't wait to see how Teen Titans go. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, There we go. On that note, thank you for tuning in and happy viewing via whatever medium. I should know this by now. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in and happy viewing via whatever medium medium is the safest for you. Do subscribe, rate and leave us a review if you love the podcast. It really does make a difference. And tweet us at Fade to Black Pod if you have something you'd love us to shout out next week. I feel like we should shout out Will. Yes, well, Driver, thank you so much for your kind tweet. That was really nice. Yeah, yeah, and we are we are a normal Ray podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, thank you so much. And yeah, we'll see you at the live pod. Don't forget the live pod is mm-hmm. happening. When is it happening, Amon? Thursday, September 15th, 7 p.m. sharp, King's Place. Be there or be circular okay um i you can find us on uh social media i'm at hannah flint on twitter and at hannah ness flint on instagram i am at clarice lou on twitter and at clarice lockley on instagram and uh yeah yeah i'm at, i'm on woman on, oh, on God, twitter and instagram this is you know, yeah. moonlight season two this will be a preview of uh, my accident when, when we review the show when it comes out just uh want to do that to end, end this show yeah good good you can experience a mom's <laughs> Dodgy Moon Knight accent live IRL on September 15th. It's so funny to me because it's just like the way you do it, Amon. It's like it's like you're like breathing in. It's like, like, like it's like like yeah. burst of breath. It's like the same voice, like 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 you're going around America around like really fast. Yeah. The world, like, like, the of it that's. I enjoy it a lot. I will, you know, I got, I think I got a couple of years to work on it before Moonlight season two comes out. So hopefully it'll be, it'll be improved. We could do it before and after, uh, when it comes out. Yeah. Okay. Farewell, film friends. It's time to fade to black.